0: And so it gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker this day, our very own Dr. Patrick Cameron, who is inviting somebody to offer him uh, shades of color that he could use on his toenails today.
1: (laughs) Oh, golly. I said at the first service that it's the first time my toes have ever been seen in public because I found these shoes with. I went shopping in my own closet yesterday. We had a we're packing some things to move to another house, and I said, "Hey, there's stuff I haven't seen in ten years." So, yep, yep. Um, so let's uh, let's sing a song and say a prayer and and share some ideas. All right. And if you'd like to stand to do this, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. The words to the song are right there in this very room. And Stefan's going to accompany us.
0: In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room is in this very room in this very room
1: in this very room so I invite you to know with me in this moment as I recognize that one power that one presence that one life and that life that unseen force for good I claim as my own and I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment if they fit if not let them wash over you. But what I know in that that observation and in that frame of mind and in that perception is that my life and spirit's life are one. It is not an un, a force from outside of me but it is a force that lives within you and I as well. It is a power for good. And so I know that I move into that conversation this day that the sacred music and the coming together of the collective enhances and supports each and every one of us in that spiritual practice of devotion of coming together to hear the music to hear the message but also to listen to ourselves at a deep level and so i celebrate all of that i celebrate you your journey your gifts and talents and possibility and potentiality as i celebrate and support that for you i celebrate and support it for myself and so that both of us win in this equation and i just give thanks for that i know that this day is blessed in every good way good way whatever people have come in search of the answer the experience the insight the peace the 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 space in their own minds and their own hearts to put down something that is troubling them whatever it may be it is available here and now and so i'm so grateful to be part of that with you i give thanks for this Beautiful day for this opportunity to be alive, for the opportunities that tomorrow contains, for the dreams, the aspirations we have for ourselves and those we love, and for this planet. I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Stefan. All right. Well, we've been doing a month of um, spiritual practice. For this month of July. A spiritual practice. We're the Center for Spiritual Living. So what does that mean? God's available everywhere. Everywhere Deepak says everywhere in general and nowhere in particular. Until we become involved with the conversation, I believe. Because when we start to invite, when we create the invitation, then God becomes more particular and, and present in our experience. And it's just the way it works. Not just within this community, but within all communities. And so in doing the research for this, I was looking up um, businesses. I pulled up a couple of books that are wonderful. One is called Sacred Commerce. Um, you can buy it online. We didn't get any in the bookstore. I've had it for a number of years. But it's a wonderful little book by Matthew and, and uh, Teresis Engelhart. And they are business owners. And I'm going to use a bit of, of their stuff today because uh, the, the subtitle is Business is the Path of Awakening. Because we all work. In the people I talk to that are retired tell me they're working harder now than they did when they were working. So we're all still working, retired or not. But in, in looking things over, it talked about how important a vision statement is. Our vision statement is a vibrant spiritual community. How many of you have a personal vision statement? Yeah. Okay. It's really important because it gives you a focus. It gives you direction to move in. And so, Vibrant Spiritual Community, I looked at Vibrant. Vibrant is spirited, lively, full of life, energetic, vigorous, vital, full of vim and vigor, animated, sparkling, effervescent. Vivacious, dynamic, stimulating, exciting, passionate, fiery, peppy, like peppy. Huh? Anybody peppy today? And feisty. The antonyms are listless and dull. Just saying. (laughs) Vivid, bright, striking, brilliant, strong, rich, colorful, bold. So it's an aliveness. It's a vibrant spiritual community. We're a spiritual community. So what we know is, as Dr. Holmes said, that what's important is that while we are alive, that we live. And so what what my experience has been in doing this work and and, uh, observing... The conditions of my own life, because that's been the, the, my schoolhouse, is that what many times happens is circumstances in the environment around us inform our, our, our state of being. The, the, uh, there's a Zen saying that there are three great mysteries, air to the bird, water to the fish, and being to the human. Air to the bird, water to the fish, and being to the human. And so the, the, the great mystery is about is, is our lack of, or at least my lack of awareness and mindfulness about my state of being. And so in all of the research and all of the, the literature that I pulled up for this, that being is not a real popular idea. Humans are always trying to manipulate the circumstances of their lives. Is that not true? In other words, that happiness and fulfillment are contingent upon the right circumstances and the right results. I mean, that's just, that's kind of the way we we're raised. I mean, that's how we were domesticated as children. You know, you get good grades in school and there's uh, something that's favorable. If you don't get good grades in school, there's something that's unfavorable or you are not thought of as highly. You know, all of these sort of things that you go to work and if you're not, if you're not competent in getting things done, you probably won't be working there much longer. So all of that. So wouldn't it make sense then that, that, so our state of being is really around circumstances and what's happened in our lives. The idea that I get this and then I can be that. So if I get this done, then I can be that. And it's backwards. It's totally, totally backwards. And so part of the spiritual practice is to understand that there's nothing to fix. There's nothing. see, Raise your hands and celebrate because you're already a success. You and I are already a success at the level of consciousness that we're living at. This experience, you're already a success. So... If you're not, then you, then, then you accept that. Then what are you striving for? Hmm, good question. Because it's easy to look out there. It's, it's easy to grasp and, and to go after. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's, but it's the consciousness, the being, that we are participating in life. And, and that's why it's backwards, this idea that the environment dictates value for ourselves. This environment says that you can't be happy because you didn't achieve this. Who says so? you can be happy right now Abraham Lincoln most people are as happy as they make up their mind to be so we ask somebody how's your day have you ever asked somebody how's your day I don't ask anybody anymore (laughs) I do but if they go on and on and on I may want to slow them down because I may not want to hear all of it so it, typically they respond based on something that happened or a circumstance that occurred as a reason why they're happy or they're disappointed or they're hopeful or they're, they're, they're fearful or anything in between. So I want to share with you um, something that I think is really important around this idea of being, um, that, that is so much, which can be our work because we spend so much time working. And I've, so I've learned so much in my life from working and having to go talk to clients and having to learn the, the people skills and the social dexterity to make the situation a win-win. Because my tendency in business was always to give too much away, which the clients loved. Clients love that, don't they? Don't you love that when somebody just gives everything away? Wouldn't it be great we go down to Freedom Ford, we all line up, and, and we just stand there and say, we hear you're giving away new cars today for free. What do you think they'd do if we all lined up? Let's go down there right now. Let's just kind con- mean, I don't know what would happen, but wouldn't it be great if we all got lined up, and just got cars for free? Of course, we'd have to wash them, take care of them, fill the tires with air, so maybe we don't want that. So, and which would be a miracle? Which leads me to the point there's a book called Spiritual Power by Llewellyn Von Lee. And Llewellyn is a Sufi mystic. He's a, from the Nazbandi um, branch of Sufism. And Rumi was a Sufi. And I love the Sufis. Sufis are the heart and soul. I believe that, that our denomination are the Sufis to Christianity is how I would relate it because we're on the mystical approach. We're all about the, the love and the possibility and the potential for the human being and for one another and a world that works for everyone. And where we see hunger, we, don't, we say, that's unacceptable. And where we see lack and limitation, we say, that's not acceptable. Let's, let's work to, to, to shift and change this so that everyone has an opportunity to share their gifts and talents. Well, that's the Sufis. The Sufis always have jobs. Every Sufi that you meet will have a job. A Sufi won't just be a Sufi, and that's all he does. A Sufi will be a brain surgeon and a Sufi. A Sufi will be a musician and a Sufi. A Sufi will be a carpenter and a Sufi. But they all have work because they believe their work is their prayer. St. Benedict said that. Make your work your prayer. And so Llewellyn says this. He says, miracles. Anybody interested in miracles? miracles are like magic are the intersection of a higher level of reality into a lower level higher level of reality into a lower level something happens which does not belong to logic or the apparent laws of the situation but when a higher reality interacts it follows the laws of its own level for example in the plane of oneness which is the dimension of the self the limitations of time and space do not apply when i read this i thought about going to spend time with john of god i went down in april And and I've touched on it a number of times. What what happens when you step into that quantum field in the environment of John of God um, is that it's the quantum field, so there's no time and those, no space. And there's instantaneous things happening that you can't explain. There are things he does, and I've done more and more research on what's happening down there, so I have more of an intellectual understanding because it's really hard to wrap your brain around it. But it's the quantum field. Where everything is happening simultaneously, where people can be in more than one place at a time, um, but it's a, it's a really an environment of just love, just absolute love that you're immersed in, and you marinate in it for a couple of weeks, and you are changed forever being in that. It's just a remarkable, remarkable experience. So when I read that, I thought there's, and I've sat with Llewellyn in meditation and had very similar experiences, but not to the depth and to watch and observe what what I, I, I saw there. I'll talk about that a little bit later. For example, he continues, In the plane of oneness, which is the dimension of the self, the limitations of time and space do not apply, as I just said. Our most common experience of this is intuition. We suddenly know something that we did not know a moment before. And I know that all of you have had moments of intuition, where you just something shows up and you go, Oh, that's it. I got it. That's that higher level creeping in. To our day-to-day to the mundane and to our experiences and our circumstances that can feel so limiting so he says synchronicity is another example of a different level of reality interacting with our normal world as seemingly chance occurrences have a meaning beyond our rational understanding so all of a sudden we're doing our work we're moving along and all of a sudden somebody that we thought about shows up or we get a phone call from someone or that or or we're looking for something and all of a sudden it, it falls together you know, the right house shows up. The right relationship shows up. The right person that'll show up to help us make the transitions in life that are going on. But there's a synchronicity. It's that unspoken relationship that we're in with, with the infinite. But he says this, our response to such situations is often an indication of how receptive we are to the other dimensions within us. See, it is within us. It is within us. It is within us. When I talk about the, the, the powers of, of lightworkers at, at, in Abhijandi what they make really clear is it's not, they're not just around us. We are it too. We are it too. There's no, there's no them in us. There's no God and, and, and this little God. It's all at that, that higher level. But many times when our consciousness is not resonating or vibrating, we haven't turned our radio frequency up high enough, we don't perceive it. So what he's saying here is that our response to such situations is often an indication of how receptive we are to the other dimensions within us. So when our intuition shows up, are we listening? When the synchronicity shows up and someone shows up because we need something and you go, wow, this is amazing, I just thought about this, and then you show up. Most people say it was just an accident. Dumb luck. Hmm. So there we are. I mean, when that happens and you say, dumb luck... Who's dumb? And who's luck? So I'm just saying, when you see it happening, you go, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I stand in great gratitude for this guidance, for the resources showing up. I affirmed this. I did a prayer about this. I set an intention. And then I created the invitation, and here I am. And then it's not, there's, there's no strain, and there's no reaching after it, there's no striving for it. You know you're not doing it well when you're breaking a sweat going after it. It's creating the intention, the vision statement, vibrant spiritual community, vibrant life, and then creating the invitation. We become the invitation in the being. In the being. So it's so counterintuitive because how can I... How when I'm not achieving the circumstances in my exterior life, not showing up properly, how can I possibly be in this divine state of receptivity? Because there's so many things I have to fix. There's so many things that I have to strive to achieve. And that's, that's, that's so, so what's mine to do and what's not mine to do? Well, that's a moment-by-moment decision. And it's also about the energy that we bring to it. If we're operating from desperation and lack and limitation, guess what we will bring into our lives? We'll bring desperate people into our lives. And then what we get to do, and there's nothing wrong with it, because you can sit around, i did it for most of my life, sit around with desperate people and talk about how desperate we both are. Oh, I'm more desperate than you are. You think you're broke. I'm really broke. Let me tell you the bills I have, what I don't have. I can top that. But, but and, I, and I say that in a, a humorous way, but, but a lot of that is, is people's spiritual practice. And then we're looking for the miracle. God, I need God to help me. And this is a big one. I need, I mean, see, I'm buying lottery tickets now. And I tell you why I'm buying them, because it's like, I'm open to anything, any possibility. I don't buy them and then stand out the store and wait for the, you know, the, the numbers to be drawn. I got two free uh, plays and, and $4 back this week. I'm pretty proud. You know, thank you so much. You. But I'm like, I, I tell you, if I win that, you know, there's a $50 million for a lotto big one. I said, if I win that 50000000 million, I'm taking everybody in the center to and We're all going to go together. But it's like, I can do something really good with that, you know? I get, I, coming back from there, I, I, there's so many things that have happened that I, I, I continue to incorporate. But, but the point being is that so, how open are we to this, this guidance, this presence, this intuition? And, and, and when we feel isolated, and we feel alone, and we feel sad, and we feel like, oh my gosh, life is so hard, it's not that that's not um, true, it's just it's not very productive. It's so when we find that, we, and, and we need to allow ourselves time to grieve, when things die, when things change, we need to go through the process of letting it go and grieving it. It's not about jumping onto a new idea and affirming over it and doing the spiritual bypass. But we just, I can do a much better job of letting go of stuff. You know, just releasing, releasing. I want to become a master at releasing. Because i got all this stuff I'm carrying with me that I don't particularly want to carry anymore. So how, how am I listening? Do we even notice these moments when the inner world reveals itself? And if so, do we acknowledge the value of their meaning, allowing our lives to be nourished and guided from within? So if all of a sudden I'm developing this, this, this capacity, this skill level to listen more deeply and to pay attention to what's happening around me, and then am I using the information to guide me and direct me and to say, I choose this, I say no to this, and then my yeses continue to get bigger, so it's easier to say no to the things that no longer work. Because the things that I say no to now worked for me for a long time. It's good that I learned how to work really hard. It is. Because I'm not afraid of working. But when I start to slip back into that, I go, no, 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 no. Because you made a new agreement. Your yeses is, see, I love this. Someone shared this with me last week. said, I only do, this is for me now, but I'll share it with you out loud. I only do the things that only I can do. I only do the things that only I can do where in the past because I, I got busy working all the time I did everything or thought I had to do everything what a huge shift and it's not because I'm lazy because for a long time what was alive for me was you're lazy and so in order to push lazy down I would do more and more and more stuff so if I had two jobs going if I had two remodels going in a kitchen I'd sell another kitchen And then I would be exhausted and so tired that I couldn't come home and prepare a proper meal. So we'd take the family out to eat all the time, because there wasn't time for the family and there wasn't time to cook. And then I was driving from job to job to job, so my gas bill in Los Angeles would go from $150 a month to $750 a month. So and, and I was on the road all the time, and I was sleeping in my car, and I'm listening to books on tape, and I'm taking notes, and I'm spiritual, and on and on and on, and I'm miserable and I'm working harder, and I'm selling more jobs so I can pay for the meals and pay for the gas and pay to go to the chiropractor, get my back adjusted every week. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's like, this is nuts. But I have to tell you, I stand here with you, it was part of my curriculum. It brought me to the point where I really get, I only do what only I can do. Do you like that? I like that. I only do what only I can do. Because then I get to focus my energy and my time and what I want to develop and nurture. And there may be things I decide that I only want to do that, but I don't have the skill level to do it. But then I go about the business of developing the consciousness and the skill level to do that well. You know, we, we, we have, we, 50% of it is the physical plane. Isn't it great? See, we have the advantage. The light workers, the army of light that they talk about in Abhijandi, they don't have physical form. They don't don't operate at this level. We have this wonderful, rich, and powerful opportunity to to function at this level. Carrie came in this morning. I haven't seen Carrie in months. Her daughter's down in LA studying acting. You know, and I was an actor for a long time. And and all the wonderful stuff I learned by that. And you're around people, you have a mental equivalent, a possibility with that. But here's this wonderful opportunity for this wonderful young lady to have her dreams fulfilled. And to meet people and be stretching. And if you're not in physical form, I don't know what you do. So it's wonderful to have these bodies. It's wonderful to have these minds. It's wonderful to make choices. Decide what we're going to study. Decide and choose what I shall be an expert in. So that then I can stand before people and say, I only do only what I can do. it simple. Then what's my vision statement for it? Well, I'd like to live a vibrant life. I'd like to live an abundant life. I'd like to live a powerful life. I've got to check my time here. What time did we start, by the way? People are always ask me, what time do you start? I said, I don't remember. <laughs> I, Laura gets me over here. She drives me over and stands me up here. <laughs> so in Matthew Englehart's uh, book, because I want to talk about, well, I'm going to do Llewellyn first, and I want to honor the, our time today because I just, I get wound up and then I go on a little bit too long, and I don't think that that's, I choose not to do that today. Llewellyn continues about this, because I want to speak to this, and then I want to give you something really practical, really grounded, that you can take with you. So if this doesn't make any sense to you, let it wash over you. But what he has to say about this, now he talked about, one, he talked about oneness, he talked about intuition, he talked about synchronicity. He talked about us being, making ourselves available to how we're being informed. And, it, see, and part of that is the invitation. So if I'm always being guided, informed, and directed in every decision that I make, and, and I have a practice where I sit and I listen which could sound like meditation to some, or it could sound like the moments of thought that bubble up when we're in the shower or when we're in between the tasking that we do. See, that's why carpentry was such a wonderful thing for me As I got better and better at it, it became more of a meditation because I became more proficient and more proficient and then I could, and then I could listen more at a deeper level. And so then when people would come in and ask me to to do counseling with them, what I had already established in my own awareness because I'd been listening, I'd say, okay, I'm going to listen with my ears, I'm going to be present, but I'm also going to listen with my heart. And so a lot of times the things that would bubble up for me in the conversation would be something that I could feed back to the individual because all of a sudden what we create is a sacred covenant of something that's powerful and wonderful and we're giving birth to newness. But in order to give birth to the newness, those things have to bubble up so that you can look at them long enough, as Dr. Holmes said, so they no longer have power over you. So I want to share, Llewellyn, why we're doing this. Why we're alive today. Why you and I are on this planet right now. I think it says it in this next paragraph. So such occurrences as the synchronicity, the oneness, the intuition occur. Such occurrences may lead us down previously unexplored pathways. Our intuition can take us there. The synchronicities can take us there. They can open us up to a wider perspective. And what could be the effect of such occurrences on a collective level for all of us? See, there's no private good. Holmes talked about that. What could happen on a collective level? Could they, could they free the collective from its present patterns of identification? See, the, the reason that the, the challenges we have in the world is this, it's frightening for people to change. I mean, it's frightening for medificians to change. We teach newness. I'm part of the leadership council now. Most of our time in those meetings is, is managing the social implications that are going to happen when we tell the membership change is happening. We are going to be canceling our 2014 Asilomar conference because people aren't showing up anymore. And so there's about $100,000 loss this year on, the, on the, the thing. And I don't talk about it a lot, and I probably could have done a better job of pitching it and getting you there, but we've, we've taken 30 people sometimes to that. But it's an idea that has run its course. People are informing us, and as a member of the leadership council, I, and I said to people, look, if this was my $100,000, I would not underwrite this. And so it's those hard decisions because a lot of people are really attached to that beautiful, it's a wonderful, wonderful event. It's great to go there, but people aren't showing up. And this has been happening for a number of years, number of years, number of years. And so I think the lesson is it's time for newness. We can do conferences, we want to get together, we love hanging out, but why does it have to be this at this point in time, and it's become so costly that a lot of people say, no, I don't think so anymore. All of those factor in, but that's the newness. And so part of it is then you have to, with the, with the organization, is how do you convey that message because people are attached to it. It's precious to them. There's a book uh, called How NASA Builds Teams, and there was a quote that I pulled out the other day that said that most, most um, uh, um, environments and most organizations, 50% of the cost is social. How NASA's Build Teams. It's a wonderful book. 50% of the cost is social. I would say for our organization, 90%. 90% because we're all about the love. We don't want anybody to be upset. Oh, you're upset? Oh, come here, let's talk about this. Let's slow down. Oh, we can go to a solomar. How many more times do you want to go to a Because this year it'll be 100 grand, next year it'll be 150. And are you willing to underwrite that? It's the question I have. And I say, no. I don't think that's good use of resources. But I think we can do regional events. There's things that we can do online. There's all kinds of things where we can do. But we need to go on sabbatical with a uh, mark. Sabbatical is an old Jewish term. Every seven years the farmer would not plant. He would spend a year studying the Torah. Let's take a year off. Let's see what emerges. We'll be okay. We'll make it. But it's uncomfortable. So what could be the effect of such occurrences on a collective level? Could they free the collective from its present pattern of identification? So I shared a syllabar with you. Our present it's, our de- identification is this is our movement and this is where we go. If we don't go there, what's going to happen? Or would they brighten it into a clinging more tightly to what is familiar? If there is going to be a collective opening to a different level of reality, then there needs to be those who are prepared for such an occurrence. See, you and I are the, are the army of light, preparing our consciousness so that we can t- stand for one another and stand in the change and stand in the transition and, say, and be able to look at one another and say, it's going to be okay. When people come in to, to, to visit with me and, and want prayer support, one of the biggest roles that I get to play is to look at them and listen and take a stand and, and say yes to all of it because it's, it's not to deny it because it's true for them and then be able to look at them and say, it's going to be okay. And the reason I know that is because you are divine. You are eternal. You are important, you're valued and all the resources you need are available to yourself. So let's see if you can su- I can support you with my consciousness and opening to a bigger idea of possibility, of synchronicity, of intuition, of people showing up in your life that so would surprise you. I want to repeat that. If there's going to be a collective opening to a different level of reality, then there needs to be those who are prepared for such an occurrence. So that the collective can be helped through a transition that might otherwise be too frightening. If the collective clutches too firmly at its familiar illusions, then an opportunity will be lost. But if it can be supported from within, then the whole of humanity can make the transition to a different level of consciousness. But what is fundamental to that is this transition not be forced or coerced. coerced. Humanity is being offered a quality of freedom. A quality of freedom, not a new conditioning. So it's very esoteric. What he's talking about is we are a teaching that teaches newness, giving birth to newness. And what restricts newness are the conditions and the things that we are attached to that frighten us. I mean, I'm, I've met many people that, that go from one abusive relationship to another abusive relationship in their, their marriages or their dating life. And so what I know about that is because consciousness, we attract to, the, to, to us what we are in consciousness. So the, the gift in it is to be able to look at it and say, how can we put down, how can we release what is, what is consistently and habitually bringing into your experience the same thing over and over again? So it's not bad and wrong, it's just What is? and to be able to witness it and hold the space and say because I think there's another opportunity I think there's something maybe more interesting and bigger and freer to step into the freedom so you're not stuck back into the old a new condition but you're step, you step into freedom and joy this is what Dr. Holmes taught it's what Marcia Sutton talks in the co-creation work I've been doing with her over the last year and that's a beautiful opportunity it's a beautiful opportunity so that's the bigger call. We're a movement that says we want to create help create a world and support a world that works for everyone. Well, what does that look like? Cuz I mean, I, what I, you know, I mean, put me in charge, I know what the world should look like for everyone. What it's talking about. <laughs> talking about is the opportunity and the possibility for each person to deliver their spiritual gifts to make an impact in the world in a way that we can live on this planet. I watched a wonderful TED talk this morning when I got up by a woman. Her last name was... Um, uh, it'll come to me. Should have written it down. but She talked about the situation with food on the planet. And she talked about what's happening in third world countries. And did you know that in the United States, I don't know about Canada, but 1% of the population in the United States grows all the food. Big, big commercial farms. And what she was talking about, she's from Amsterdam, and I'll. Um, I think her last name was Florence. But she talked about in the third world countries where people are bent over with hoes, growing their own food. And she said what we need are quick and fast and innovative ways so that we can mechanize, not on the big scale that's been done in the West, but so these people don't have to labor so hard to feed themselves and be more productive with their fields. And so they're way ahead of the West over in parts of Europe with this stuff. But, it's, see, it's giving birth to the new idea. Because the model isn't that only 1% feed the, the 99%. I mean, that works for us in the West. But and it's also not these, you know, have you ever been to the farmer's market? You know, where you have the boutique farmers and you got the little jam that only, I mean, if I, what I know is if I go to the farmer's market, take $100. So I can go home with three items. I mean, it's a very, very elite practice, you know. I mean, I, I go armed with cash, and Laura, and Laura will say, well, we're out of cash. And I say, well, we've only been to two booths. And I don't want to stand in the line behind everybody else at the ATM machine. But it's, it's just not, that model doesn't work either. But it's wonderful to have the abundance in your life to do that. But anyway, there's all kinds of things happening around this thing. And so that's part of that potentiality. That's part of that gift. That's part of the insight. It's part of the beautiful gift of the internet so we can share information, we can share ideas, we can empower one another. I love TED Talks. So I want to share this. So that's a very esoteric why we're here, why we're doing this stuff. What are we giving birth to? But if we're, if it frightens us, how can we be there for one another when change wants to happen? I mean, if you've raised kids, I, you know, I I, I told a story as a kid that I, I told my grandfather there was somebody living under my bed, and I couldn't sleep. So he came in and he cut the legs off the bed. Said, "There you go." And so then I made the story up that he's living in the closet. He said, "Well, you're on your own, kid." I want to share this this beautiful story about uh, from from uh, Matthew and and Tercis Engelhart. They they have a business. Business is a path of awakening, and they have a business called uh, Gratitude Cafe. It's in San Francisco. And uh, it's quite you can go online and see them being interviewed. But he tells his story, and I can really relate to this. He said in, in, in upstate New York in 1984, I was a father of two and by d- default a carpenter of C-minus quality. Boy, can I relate to this guy's story. We lived hand-to-mouth. When one job ended, the phone would ring with another prospect, and I deemed myself spiritual and professed that God provided just enough, just in time, I was winning at the just-enough game. Anybody done with Just Enough game? There's the invitation. Just enough. <sighs> Made it to the end of the month and still had money in the checking account. Sweet. And then a prosperity book came to my attention that gave me permission to be spiritual and have money. Whoa. Not in the church I grew up and I took it on with a vengeance. I started being a millionaire with no evidence. See, there's our part. Being a millionaire with no evidence. So this is what he did. This is his formula. So I love this. And this became his work. He said, I drove our $400 Saab automobile like a limo. So how are you going to drive home today? You might be getting on a $250,000 city bus to take you home. Your chariot awaits. Huh? How many people are traveling like that? I started to cherish money, not for what it could buy. This is a really key piece here. Cherish money, not for what it could buy, but for what it represented, the quality of abundance that permeates all creation. The quality of abundance that permeates all creation. Our divine nature, as Holmes says in the Science of Mind textbook, is Abundance, abundance, abundance. Abundance. And the only reason abundance isn't showing up in your life, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about quality of life. I'm talking about health. I'm talking about vitality. I'm talking about opportunity. I'm talking about creativity. I'm talking about the right people by the the rights of synchronicity and intuition show up in our lives and go, Oh my gosh, this guy has exactly the right project in mind that I can fulfill. So we can partner in this in a way that's just amazing and beautiful. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. People are succeeding in wonderful ways every day. He said, I I started to cherish money not for what it could buy, but for what it represented, the quality of abundance that permeates all creation. I put post-it notes all around me that read, I love money and money loves me. I gave post-it notes away at the first service. I ran out of them. So people are home right now writing, I love money and money loves me. I changed my name to Mighty Millionaire Matthew. I'm having cards made up this afternoon. Guess what? Millionaire eventually showed up. At that time in my life, no one would have placed bets on my financial prospects, but out of the many miraculous and unpredictable circumstances, which sound like synchronicity to me, I I created a lucrative fashion line and clothing factory in an old dairy barn in the Finger Lakes farm country, which is upstate New York. Been there, it's beautiful. And to the surprise and dismay of the grandees of 7th Avenue, which is New York, my outer circumstances mirrored the shift in my inner life as they always do. My outer circumstances mirrored the shift in my life as they always do. But see, what we, you and I get to do is shift them and keep them shifted. When I was in Abhijani and they say, this isn't fairy dust here. You can come down here we can help you heal something. But your 50% is to reach for the highest thought possible at all times. What's the highest thought possible at all times? And that's what he did. So part of his practice became post-it notes. He started to call himself in a different way. He got into his vehicle and drove in in a different way. He started to live as a millionaire despite the evidence in his life. And he did it because he was called to it, not so that he had a bunch of cash to spend, but he wanted to duplicate the divine nature of the infinite in his own personal experience, which is abundance. I got flowers growing all over my yard. Every year I love plant, planting the flowers. My neighbors think I'm crazy. I got flowers going everywhere. It takes time. I got to put water into them. I talk to them. I love them up. I, I miracle grow them. I asked Bruce, How do you get the flowers to grow so well? The church he says, I miracle grow them every day. Thank you, Bruce. He's right there. If you want to know how to grow flowers, it's. Thank you, Bruce. It looks beautiful out front. But see, that's care. And I've made a commitment to it. And so. Are my flowers more precious than me and my consciousness and my life? There's things happening here. There's amazing, amazing things happening here since I've come back, especially from John of God. I realize I don't have to do all this. I've still got that mindset. I got to do it all. Some people will say, "What about a different facility, What different idea?" And i go, like, "Oh my God, that's, uh, that's way too much work. I'm only one carpenter. That's going to take a long time. That's old thinking. That's old thinking. What if it was easy?" What if it happened because it was a bigger yes because we were we were uh, such a wonderful hub of possibility and support so anyone that shows up for a day for an hour for a week or a lifetime could get resources that this is like a way station on their spiritual journey you pull your horses in you say water them up and and get something to eat and we're back on our journey and we could do it for all over the world and we could have programs here around youth, around, around uh, preschool. We could have amazing weddings going on here, which we don't really exploit as well as we could, and utilize all kinds of ideas. But what I realized in my own mind is that I've got to get out of the way of this. I'm the problem here. Every time it comes up, I'm like, too hard, too much work. I won't live long enough. I'll leave everybody with bills. Hey, you're going to have bills after I go anyway. It's my knowing. So we're 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 working. We're always working, whether we're retired or not. There was a lady that was being interviewed for a job. She went in, and the man was interviewing her, and got to the end of the interview and said, "Mrs. Harris, are there any other things you've done or achieved in your life that might be valuable for me to know? That might you know be uh, influence me us here, whether we hire you or not." And she said, "Well, as a matter of fact," she said, "I this last year I had two articles uh, published in major magazines, and I completed my first novel." And the interviewer said, well, that's lovely to know, but I was thinking more about stuff that you were able to do at work. And she said, well, no, no. She said, I did all that while I was at work. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Anyway. Oh, golly. I wasn't going to go long. Well, so much for that plan. There's always next week. (laughs) So... So, But isn't it, isn't it interesting? And in, See, what are we saying yes to? What are we agreeing to? And isn't it wonderful to know that it's, it's all within us right now? And to listen, to pay attention, to see when it shows up, to see what's happening, and, and to follow that guidance and to continue to work in that. And then all of a sudden, what we want to give birth to, what we want to bring into our experience starts to happen. But if it's around prosperity, we've got to start driving our cars differently, like our Lemos. And we've got to start cherishing money because what it represents and duplicates in our lives is not that there's not enough and I need more and more and more. What it does is at the highest level of abundance, it duplicates the nature of spirit in our experience. So what we're doing is vibrationally lifting ourselves up to that feeling tone of abundance. And that's a beautiful thing. And then we have the opportunity to do all kinds of great things that we never even thought were possible before. So I look forward to hearing about how your driving home your limo went this week from church. I'll see you next week. Blessings. You're up. We lost him at the first service. He fell asleep in the back. I talked so long.